Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Mariana Hegler. And I'm Amy Westervelt. And today... <laughs> I don't even know how to open this episode. Uh, you probably know before you even click play. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the IRA this week. Yeah, um, not the, the Irish reduction. thing, but the climate policy. Yes. Right, and not the... Uh, you know, the retirement thing that people Not have. the retirement account, not the Irish radicals, but nope. the climate policy. Yes. The <laughs> Manchin-Schumer climate bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, yeah. um, which is, yeah, all there is in the news. So without further ado, it's time. To talk about climate. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So, Amy, this bill is 750 pages long. Um, it's so it's kind long. of like a tome. Um, it's like, yeah. yeah. Like it makes a sound when you put it down on a table. Yes. What's in this thing? What's, There's a lot. Let's be specifically. What's good in this thing? There is a lot of good stuff in this bill. Um, I feel like the discourse around this bill has been very much 100% good or 100% bad. Those are your only options, ma'am. Right. And as with any policy, that's that's just not true. Uh, so the good right. stuff is a ton of investment for renewable energy. Ex- extending tax credits out for a decade, that's actually really, really important. So um, I don't know if people know this, but for the last several years, most of the incentives for renewable energy have been, you know, like a couple years. <laughs> so, so that industry, you know, if you think about scaling up and growing your business, it's very hard to do that when you don't know whether the playing field is going to completely change for you from one year to the next. So this really mm-hmm. enables that industry to, to grow and build in the way that it needs to if it's going to replace fossil fuels. Um, that is great news for offshore wind. It's great news for solar. Um, it's also good news for carbon capture and hydrogen, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute. Um, sure. It, it also, um, it opens up more permitting for offshore wind. That's a really big deal. Um, there's some some permitting stuff that's good for the transmission of renewable energy. There are EV tax credits. Um, a, lot of, a lot of credits for pretty much anything to do with renewable energy and at every level of society. So like consumer level, business level, um, kind of grid level. Everyone, everyone kind of gets something along that supply chain, which is is all very, very good. It's also good for workers. It has a lot of requirements for uh, particular uh, wages, training, um, and and actually, um, in a lot of cases, you only kind of get the full incentive for renewable energy buildouts if you are also complying with all of these labor requirements. So the this is going to provide a bunch of really good jobs thing is actually true and they're backing it up with some regulation that will make sure that those jobs are really good and paying well. Um, I mm-hmm. also I also think it's important to note that like this bill is a hundred percent the result of relentless organizing over the last five years from indigenous people, from grassroots organizers, from the climate justice community, from the sunrise kids, like the youth climate movement, all of that. Everyone who has been pushing for a Green New Deal for the last several years, all of that work 
is is what has enabled the passage of this bill because it's made it feel like a a necessity politically for Democrats to actually follow through and do something on climate. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the the tax credits really quickly. So mm-hmm. in, the, in the event of these tax credits, who gets them? The manufacturer or the purchaser? Who gets the credit? A little, everybody. That's the good, okay. that's the good thing about these credits is like they really did, I think, a good job of, of making sure that it's not just one party that's incentivized, that it's sort mm-hmm. of everyone is incentivized all along the chain. So like the manufacturers, the purchasers, consumers, um, utilities, they all get some incentive to, uh, to transition to clean energy. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not just a windfall for Elon Musk. It's not just a windfall for Elon Musk. Or for, you know, big solar developers. It is a windfall for them, but it's not it's not only them Just, yeah. that benefits. Um, so that is also that is also good. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, to also underscore what you're saying about, you know, this being the result of relentless uh, relentless organizing. I, I can't agree with that more. Um, And we're going to talk about uh, a more nuanced look at the bill. You know, there are some things in it that that can give you pause. Um, But we want to be very clear that a lot of really hard work from a lot of really good people went into this bill. We know people who have delayed life milestones to get this type of of bill passed. Um, And... You know, it is at the same time that there's a lot of things in it that are not that great. It is the biggest climate win, I think, ever. Ever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no, yeah, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's the it's the biggest, it's the most amount of money for climate. It's the first time the Senate has managed to pass anything with climate in its name, period. Mm-hmm. And that was done with a razor-thin majority in the Senate. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, politically very, very hard to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, that's the reality that we're operating in. And as you and I have talked about before, it's, it's unfortunate that that reality doesn't map to the actual reality of this problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've I've also heard that the bill, um, you know, just the fact that we've passed the climate bill signals to the rest of the world that the United States is taking its responsibility on climate seriously. And therefore the U.S. can go to the next big U.N. conference in December in Egypt um, with its head held high and have some negotiating power. Right. That's right. It's it's a big it's it's not just that. It's also a sign to the rest of the, I think, you know, the, the United States um, inaction on climate for so long was a huge signal to the rest of the world that they didn't have to act either. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, the fact that the U.S. is finally acting is an indication that, you know, other countries won't be able to kind of avoid it for for that much longer either. Um mm-hmm. However, I think there are also things in it that are a signal internationally in in some less good ways too. <laughs> so it kind of honestly, I think a lot of a lot of what people need to keep in mind about this bill is that like at the end of the day, it's sort of like a an appropriations and spending bill, and therefore, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some uh, shifts to permitting and leases and things like that, but. A, a lot of these things are just sort of 
setting the groundwork for for other things to happen. And we don't know what those other things will be. So like, we don't know if the fossil fuel industry will grab up a whole bunch of offshore leases or not yet. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, yeah. we don't know if they will actually drill, right? Because they've been sitting on like stockpiles of leases for a really long time. We don't know how much they'll drill. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, we don't know if there's a bunch of offshore wind developers that are going to grab up a but you know, like we don't know what people are actually going to do with these things that are laid out yet. So I, I think I honestly, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the press has been like, this will deliver a 40%, you know, reduction in emissions by 2030. And I feel find it hard to understand how people can be like can say that with such conviction given how many variables there are really baked into yeah. this yeah you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i want to get into some of some of those gray areas yeah um so which which one is the one that you're most concerned about I think that I am probably most concerned about the sort of like I'll give you a wind farm for an offshore oil lease bargain. Um, that really seems concerning to me. So basically, the um, the bill lays out that the the Department of the Interior of Interior will make a certain amount of offshore leases available to offshore wind in, over the next ten years. However, it stipulates that any time they give a like they make leases available to offshore wind, they must also make leases available to offshore oil drilling. And it's like 60 million acres worth of leases. It's not just like one lease, one oil lease for every 10 wind farms. It's like, it it might actually be, it could very well be the reverse. So that I think is, is very concerning. And especially with the offshore oil leases in the Gulf, They've been chomping at the bit for more of those for ages, right? And communities have been saying, no, please don't, you know, do any more drilling in the Gulf. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know. I I think that that is is concerning. And I also think it's, I understand that it's politically expedient. And I understand that we're operating in, a particular political reality and all of that. However, that doesn't change the fact that what the IPCC has said is that there mm-hmm. can be no new fossil fuel projects ever again if they were we're going clear. to avoid catastrophe. Zero. Not there was a crystal few. fucking clear. That was in 2018. Yeah, not a few until we get wind going, but zero. So mm-hmm. I don't know what else. I'm just like, look, that's that's what the science says. You're you can compromise all you want, but it's not going to change that fact. Um, right. It's, right. So yeah, for for people who don't follow this really closely, I think we should maybe spell out what we mean when we say a lease. Um, yes. So yeah, a lease is like a piece of land that you can now drill on that right. you can get more well, oil out of, or build not a, wind necessarily. Farm a wind farm lease. It's actually, no, this, and this is a really important distinction because my other big problem with the bill is the way that it deals with permitting because to drill an oil well, you need both a lease and a permit and they're two different things and they're governed by two different agencies. So yes. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Same with know. the wind farm. They'll have to get they'll have to get a lease from the Department of the Interior and then a permit from the federal uh, fed is it Federal Energy Regulatory Commission FERC, which is like the wonkiest of all the wonky organizations. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So for a long time, FERC has been supposed to look at the climate implications of every permit that they that they evaluate. Under Trump, mm-hmm. the head of FERC said. <laughs> We're okay. We'll do that, and then they, and then he stipulated that they were only going to do it around the emissions generated by like the actual construction of the thing. So like the emissions, like the emissions associated with constructing a pipeline, for example, not with actually using that pipeline to mm-hmm. you know transport oil that's then burned or transport gas that's then burned. Um, there were a couple of court cases. Where, you know, the D.C. Circuit Court was like, no, that's clearly not what the law meant. <laughs> you, know? mm-hmm. you, you need to actually look at the overall climate impact. The Biden administration was going to do that. And then as part of a whole host of capitulations to the fossil fuel industry in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine mess, they pushed pause on that. So that, combined with what's in this bill, is quite worrisome to me because... We're saying, okay, we're going to open up a bunch of leases and then also we're going to do some permitting reform. So the permitting reform in the IRA is extremely vague. It's just like we will reform permitting um, to make it easier to transmit energy. And ostensibly that's for renewable energy, which it's, it's needed for that. We need to improve the grid so that renewable energy can actually be distributed at scale. Sure. It's necessary. However, as with the main IRA, this permitting thing, which is emerging as a side deal, um, is also going to streamline pipelines, you know, and LNG like the terminals, Mountain Valley pipeline? like the Mountain Valley Pipeline. So that's where that's where the Mountain Valley Pipeline stuff has come into. It's this like side permitting deal that Manchin has said, you know. I will I will only like approve the IRA if you guys also agree to this other side deal. Now the IRA has passed, so Manchin can't do anything about it at this point. And Democrats could do what he has done to them over and over again and say, like, psych, just kidding on that permitting deal. We're not doing it, you know. But right now How would what, they do that? Well, they could just not uh, vote for uh, for the the bill that he's going to propose on on permitting improvements. This is like a side mm-hmm. separate bill. Um, so they don't have to actually vote the way they told him they would vote on that bill, mm-hmm. and they don't have to agree to you know his stipulations there, which were you know um, streamline per- the permitting process for pipelines too, not just renewables and specifically get rid of any of the blockers for the Mountain Valley Pipeline, including not letting the the regional district court have jurisdiction over that pipeline case. So there's a legal Mm -hmm. case around that pipeline um, that has found several times that the developers of the Mountain Valley Pipeline have not done what they should do on environmental impact and that their permits were illegally given by the U.S. Army yeah. Corps of Engineers. Manchin yeah. is asking the federal government to overrule the court and block that court from having jurisdiction over any further legal challenges to that pipeline. 
which is pretty nuts when you think about it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if, like, there are some folks who might think the Mountain Valley Pipeline is a new project that's getting well, greenlit under this bill. Forever. Like, it's, yeah. it's been around for a minute and it's been fucking shit up for a minute. And mm-hmm. that's why it's not complete is that it keeps running into problems. Yeah. Um, polluting people's water and, like, all of these other things, which, like, I, it, maybe don't build it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. Um, Also, it's not just West Virginia. It's also Virginia. And the senators in Virginia have said, we don't like this deal that Manchin is trying to push on the Mountain Valley Pipeline. So we're not going to support it. So I think it's like the story is not completely written on the Mountain Valley Pipeline yet. Mm -hmm. Um, However, and, and it's not, you know, the deal is not done on the permitting stuff. I think a lot of climate advocates are very concerned about the idea of um, of sort of streamlining pipeline permitting as like a trade-off for improving uh, permitting for renewables too. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the reason I think it's important to know this thing about leasing and permitting is that the oil industry and especially the, Amer- the American Petroleum Institute, the API, they love to like confuse people with this. Where they mm-hmm. like when when they were saying like their big response to people saying, well, you have 10 years worth of leases. Why do you need more is to say is to change this, like change the goalposts and say, well, just because you have leases doesn't mean you have permits to drill them. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, but you were asking for new leases. You weren't talking about permitting, you know. So anyway, right. It's, right. It's a whole game that they play. spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift 
of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, Earth Breeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash drilled. response from the fossil fuel industry has been very, very positive about this bill, which yeah. kind of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. I know that Shell <laughs> tweeted in, in response to it, just <laughs> celebrating away. And the API, yeah. even the American Petroleum Institute, probably the most craven of all the fossil fuel, <laughs> you know, yes. a, uh, accounts out there was both celebrating and and a little bit like criticizing the bill, but I don't want them to celebrate at all. Yeah. <laughs> when they're celebrating the passage of a bill, like it gives me serious pause. So one yeah. of the things um, that, so the bill says that it's going to cut emissions by 40% by 2030, which, you know, I, I really and truly hope it does, but it seems like a lot of that relies on carbon capture and storage, which That's is right. a literal pipe dream. And I... Like we said before, it doesn't exist. It's not real. And so what yeah. do we do with that? Yes, it's it's really problematic because they are there's an assumption built in there of a carbon capture and uh, storage technology that is many times more effective than any carbon captures uh, technology that actually exists today. <laughs> so it's not mm-hmm. based on like, the technology that exists now and the way that's being used now. So carbon carbon capture does exist now. It is deployed currently. However, um, it is capturing very little carbon. And right. what carbon it is capturing is mostly being injected back into the ground to get more oil out. That's the main use of it. It's called enhanced oil recovery. And it's not a fucking climate solution. <laughs> That sounds incredibly dangerous. And I just want to underscore that the oil industry hasn't gotten oil extraction right. That's right. The thing they've been doing for a century, they still fuck up on a regs. See the BP oil spill if you need any examples. And also, like, that was just one big oil spill. They spill oil all the goddamn time. You don't even hear about it. Right. So, So yeah, I I, I don't like, like this. Yeah, it hinges not only on... The technology evolving and becoming much um, much more efficient 
than it is now, but also on the fossil fuel industry, building out a whole new infrastructure of carbon storage. Um, so we're talking about literal, you know, pipelines for compressed carbon. And I think we talked on a previous episode about yep. what happens when that shit leaks. It poisons mm-hmm. people. So I'm just like, do we really, is this really what, you know, and again, you know, I'm sure there will be people listening to this being like, well, okay, yeah, it's imperfect, but you know, we need it at this point. But actually, I just want to just clarify what the IPCC report actually says about carbon capture, because I feel like that was wildly misreported. Um, mm-hmm. The most recent report was the mitigation report. And in the summary, it was somewhat positive about carbon capture and storage. And it was somewhat like taking the, the stance of like, we're probably going to have to deploy carbon capture and storage to to reach you know, these milestones. Um, That summary is the one part of the report that is completely controlled by politicians. Um, They Mm. all, every country has a representative in the room and they absolutely like negotiate every word and every sentence of that summary. It's like, it's crazy. And we know from, there's, there's actually like an entity that takes minutes of the the IPCC negotiations and then publishes them online. So you can see like who is lobbying Mm. for what. And it was Saudi Mm -hmm. Arabia and the U S for the most part. Oh, interesting. Lobbying for more positive mention of carbon capture in that summary. If you look at the actual report, the, the like models that are in the report, the science that is spread throughout it, nowhere does the IPCC say carbon capture and storage is great? We love it. Nor does it say it's going to solve this problem. Um, there again, there's like multiple models that are like, well, if we deploy it at this level, then it could do this. And a lot of those also have this weird assumption in them of, you know, being able to capture like 90% plus of, of CO2, which none of the technologies that exist now can do. Um, so it's, it's very, yeah, it's very, it's concerning from, from two standpoints that a, you know, these, I think there's some real magical thinking about the emissions reduction possibility, um, in carbon capture technology. And then B that even if the works on the emission standpoint, it creates this whole new risk for the communities that are living next to these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the other big criticism of, of the yes. bill. Like, we talked about this last week, but you can't underscore it enough. Yeah. I, it, like, so when I say carbon capture and storage doesn't exist, I mean it doesn't exist safely or at mm-hmm. the scale that we need. Um, yeah. And then it does nothing for the other harmful chemicals that come out of power plants, like right. uh, socks and knocks which I forget what those stand for, but they're bad. You don't want to be breathing them in. They will give yeah. you asthma. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the storage of these things is just like, that is really terrifying. Basically, just putting carbon bombs in the ground. It's like, I, I, I'm imagining, you know, minefields of, yeah. of like little carbon grenades. Well, and I mean, we don't even do a good job of regulating the fossil fuel industry as it is. Like, right. we still haven't figured out fucking methane emissions. But now we're going to have like a whole new dangerous thing that they're in charge of that like, you know, is 
to the extent that it's regulated, there's not enough actual on the ground staff looking at these things to confirm that they're safe. You know, I'm just like, (sighs) yeah. Is there anything in this bill about methane? There is. Actually, that's another very good thing I should have mentioned up okay. top. There's a methane fee. Um, it's a fairly like large fee that increases, um, if especially increases like if you are not complying with reductions. That's actually mm-hmm. huge because the the big thing about methane that I think it's really important for people to understand is that it is, it is a short mm-hmm. it is a short lived gas. So yeah. that means. If we can drastically reduce methane emissions right now, that could actually save us like a half a degree of warming between now and 2050, which buys us time which is really important. to get on top yeah. of the CO2 emissions. It's really, really important. It's also extremely achievable. Like, we can mm. do this. Um, yeah. I also would like to note that there's this way that methane gets talked about a lot, which is like that there are just a bunch of methane leaks in all these pipelines and refineries. And it's just like, Oh, oopsie, there was a leak. We can just patch up all like, Oh, these companies just need to, to like patch up these pipelines and then we'll be good. That is not how methane emissions got to be as out of hand as they are. These motherfuckers fucking vent methane into the air all the time. They just like open up the hatches. They burn it off when there's a bubble in the pipeline. They burn it off when the price of natural gas is too low or too high or, you know, whatever. Like they do it. They do it constantly. It's not. So you're saying a mistake. It's a Uh feature, not a bug. (laughs) So what you're saying is methane comes from other places than cow farts. It does come from other places than cow farts. Yes, yes. Yeah, important it's, to know. It's it's right. um, it's the gas stuff. Yeah. So anyway, it's great that there's a methane fee in here. I think that's fantastic, and it's great that there is some amount of. It's it's actually one of the few sort of sticks in the bill, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of actually punishing companies for not complying um, with yeah. or or the way it's more like. You get less of you get less money if you don't do this, um, yeah. or you get no money because um, you can if you um, if you comply with reductions, then you don't have to pay the fee. But if you yeah. don't, then you're going to get dinged, and it's and it's like a I meaningful see. amount of money. So I think that's mm-hmm. great. We've needed it for a long time. The industry has been. Um, voluntarily trying to get on top of methane emissions for years. They, they, you know, they won't do it until they're, they're forced to. And this fee will hopefully help fund some actual monitoring of the facilities too. Cause one thing I've learned from talking to people um, on the ground who work on methane is that even in States like New Mexico and Colorado that have really great laws on the books, they're not being enforced. Sometimes because there's lack of interest in enforcing them. Sometimes it's just a lack of resources. There's like three people in the entire state of New Mexico in charge of monitoring this, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, let's talk about the biggest criticism that at least I've heard of the bill, yes. and that is that it doesn't protect Black and Brown and Indigenous communities enough, which feels very much like a betrayal to a lot of people because it, um, like you were saying earlier, we wouldn't have anything close to a climate bill of this size if it weren't for the sweat and tears of those exact communities. And these are the communities right. that have borne the brunt of the climate crisis more than anybody else up that's until right. this point. So, yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about where where that's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things. One, if you look at Build Back Better and, and the IRA and you look at what right. was shaved off of Build Back Better to reduce, you know, 550 billion down to 360 billion, it's almost all the environmental justice stuff and like support for housing and for the working class and for frontline communities and for indigenous sovereignty. And like, you know, it's sort of all of those things were cut. Yeah. So that's a big problem. The other big problem is the trade-offs of, you know, more leasing and drilling and pipelines and whatever are, that's all going to only impact the communities that are already the ones that have been the most impacted, which are also the communities that have done all the organizing work that like got this bill passed in the first place. Right. Right. So let's talk about where, where those communities are. So there's, you've already talked about the Gulf South. Um, We've talked about Appalachia with the Mountain Valley Pipeline and, you know, Joe Manchin's playground. Um, Mm. And also I believe the Permian Basin and Alaska. Are there, are there others as well? Colorado um, is full of these communities, New Mexico also. And in New Mexico, in a lot of these states too, it's like New Mexico, Minnesota, Michigan. um, There's huge overlap between, uh, you know, frontline communities and environmental health issues and indigenous sovereignty and sort of land rights and water rights that... um, that come into play. North Dakota too. And and yeah, the Dakotas as well. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because like in many cases, these pipelines are, are um, kind of doing an end run around tribal sovereignty um, Mm -hmm. where they're, they're able to get permits by kind of cutting tribal leaders out of negotiation or, doing kind of sneaky things where they're just like going slightly on the edge of the reservation, but it's still impacting the water source of the reservation. Yeah. That's like what happened with Standing Rock, right? It's like, okay, yeah. it's technically not on, you know, on the reservation, but it's the water that is not mm-hmm. only our drinking water, but also where we fish and like, you know, it's all sacred. Of that. It's and yeah. it's sacred. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Same with line, you know, line three, line five in Michigan. These are all the big pipeline fights right now. And they and a lot of them are on indigenous lands. Um, So you so you have this kind of double whammy of, you know, eroding sovereignty and having these major environmental health impacts in communities that are mostly at a financial disadvantage and are not benefiting from these pipelines. Not entirely. There's, and I don't want to like say that indigenous people are a monolith. There are tribes that are very friendly with the oil industry. Um, Of course. And, and there are, you know, there's a lot of, of sort of complex discussions that, that are had around that, but these things definitely kind of intersect. Yeah. 
Um, and frontline communities yeah. include people who work at refineries and people who Definitely. work on oil rigs. The Permian like is a perfect example. And the Gulf, too. Yeah, like you have this yeah. very complex relationship where mm-hmm. people are kind of dependent on this industry that's killing them. Um, right. And exactly. Yeah. So uh, I, I got confused on one point, though. So uh, you're talking about like the pipelines that will be, you know, kind of permitted through the IRA. But so that means there's more than just the Mountain Valley pipeline on the table here. Can you talk you about know, that? Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, the the main kind of permitting side deal is um, is around kind of reforming permits for energy infrastructure in general. And Mm -hmm. what Manchin wants is for that to benefit pipelines too, not just renewables. The only specific pipeline that he's made this like very, you know, particular ask about is the Mountain Valley pipeline. But this would also impact all of the other pipeline fights. um, So could Keystone, Line 3, Dapple... Those I think guys. Keystone is going to dead. You know, like it's dead. It's not going to come back. Um, okay. I don't think. But yeah. definitely line 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 three is already built. But line five is going to be. That's the big fight coming. Um, mm, that's in Michigan. Okay. It's um, it's a pipeline that's going under the Great Lakes in Michigan. Um, so there's huge potential for, for major problems. And the governor there has asked, I think it's really smart, has asked for basically like an upfront bond. There, she's like, okay, if you're going to build this pipeline, I want you to put money in the bank right now in a fund for when you have a spill because we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they, they're right. fighting about that in court right now. I also oh. think you're going to see um, a rights of nature argument getting used to try to block the line five. Mm pipeline um mm-hmm. but anyway yeah all of those fights are going to be impacted by this this permitting reform yeah it seems like with this bill the devil really is in the details and a, a yeah. very smart person who i will not put on blast on this podcast uh mm-hmm. told me that you know the amount of bad that this bill could do is pretty clear but the amount of good really depends on implementation that's right um and that is very, very right. Yeah, there's just so much left to be seen. Yes, it, that's it's. I think that is like the biggest kind of reason. I, I'm not even saying like I. I think again, I just feel like the discourse on this has been really weird. It's like if you're not just a hundred percent happy, then you know you're being a doomer, or you're being unrealistic, or you're being too critical, <laughs> or you're letting like the perfect How be the enemy of the good, or you know, yeah, exactly. It's like it's all these things, right? But, um, but I do think that that like, I I just don't think that we know. Yeah, how, what good it it will actually do. We need to see the implementation. Like, uh, to me, this, like, 40% thing is just, it's, like, um, completely made up until we see how how things are actually implemented. um, Yeah. And what actually gets built. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and what kind of you know, carbon is like how much carbon is actually captured. Cause yeah, a lot of these projections rely on carbon capture, hydrogen projects, all kinds of stuff that are kind of like very abstract yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. 
hot take is brought to you by Bite. Uh, Mary, I don't know about you, but I am kind of obsessed with these little bite pellets. Um, mm-hmm. it, like the first time I was like, oh, it's like Altoids as a toothpaste. But now I'm, I'm just super into it. I like them a lot. Are you just eating it? Kind of sometimes. Is no. that bad? No, it's fine. Uh, it's not, not, <laughs> it's not bad. It's also, it's in between. It's in between. between. I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. So bite are these like little pellets of toothpaste that come in these very cute little glass jars. And you just pop one in your mouth and you bite into it. And then you get some water and your toothbrush in there and it sort of turns into toothpaste in your mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. I love it for a few reasons. One is that I have very messy kids and also my husband never learned how to properly use a toothpaste tube. So Wow, does he listen to the podcast, Amy? No, no, he doesn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> and we're going to keep it that way. Uh, one of these <laughs> days, he'll he'll have a cameo on here. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like, it's a mess. It's gross. There's always, like, three different toothpaste tubes all, like, spooged out everywhere. Ugh, I hate it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just keep my little jar of bite on the counter and <laughs> replace all of that mess. So I love it for that reason. But also, it's much healthier than regular toothpaste. I never realized this before, but apparently you swallow 5 to 7% of your toothpaste every single time you brush your teeth. And most— Wow, some of us call that breakfast, Amy. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I guess that's fine, but most commercial toothpastes are filled with harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, and preservatives, so not stuff that you would probably normally choose to eat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah, other bite along with, you know, being packaged in glass, which is nice because you get rid of another plastic product in your house, is also sulfate-free, palm oil-free, and glycerin-free. So it's not gross for you to ingest. It's not coming in a bunch of plastic. And they send refills in compostable pouches. So you get that glass thing, and then you get these compostable pouches to just keep refilling the glass jar. Mm -hmm. Um, It also looks cute on my bathroom counter. I'm not going to lie. It's good. Mm-hmm. Bite is offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash hot take or use the code hot take at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash hot take. One thing everybody on the climate, you know, within the climate fight agrees on is that this bill isn't enough. Even the people who are like partying in the streets about this bill, they know good and damn well that this bill isn't enough and wouldn't mince words about it. And even the people who feel deeply betrayed by this bill. Uh, I mean, they'll immediately tell you it's not enough. Um, And I mean, I, I find it hard to celebrate anything that is giving environmental justice communities concern. Um, yeah. I live in an environmental justice sacrifice zone now. Like, my yeah. my heart is in those places. So I, I, I find a hard time celebrating. What, I, what I'm hopeful for is that this is the dam breaking on climate action. Right. Um, especially if we all agree this isn't enough, I, I'm hoping to soon see steps toward something else and, like, yeah. and just keep going. In this yes. And I have seen I have seen that 
that's the thing that actually feels somewhat optimistic to me is that a lot of people are kind of like, it's, it's, it's like (laughs) we've broken the seal on climate policy, right? Right. Like where it's like, okay, like now that we've done it once, like it's not going to be as big of a deal to like, you know, do it Mm -hmm. again and again and again and again. Right. Um, And I think people feel like, I think a lot of people feel like even though they didn't get the win that they were pushing for, they did get some movement and that's Mm -hmm. like enough to keep them fighting, you know? And I think that's really, really important because I also feel like I did see a, um, a very disturbing thread of folks being like, this is worse than nothing. Um, And I, I think that's a, a harmful um, mm. narrative too, because I think if you're going to say we need to look at climate for climate's sake and not as a political issue, then we need to do that on both sides. Right. Like, yeah. like this will have, like this will, um, have emissions reductions period. That's how climate works. It will. Mm-hmm. Um, so to say that it's worse, I don't know. To me, I'm just like saying it's worse than nothing is like it's hyperbole and it's unnecessary. I think that mm-hmm. like the problem is that it locks in a system that will continue to make this a bigger problem over time. You know, that's like to me, I'm like, I don't know. It's yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't actually think that. um that like the the worse than nothing narrative is helpful. I feel like it makes people want to give up. You know, it makes yeah. people be like, well, this is just never going to change. So why, like, I'm just going to focus on like enjoying my life as long as I can. And like, you know, mm. um, is it possible yeah. that it's worse than nothing for people who live in these sacrifice zones we were just talking about? I don't think that, that that's even true um, because mm. nothing like, it it sort of perpetuates the status quo. I, I think it could yeah. be true that it's the same as nothing mm. in, for people in sacrifice zones. I definitely think that could be true. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's, like I was mostly hearing it from, I actually wasn't hearing that from anyone in an, in an environmental justice community. I was mostly hearing that from like, far left progressives who are just like mad online, you know what I mean? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is not, I don't think it's helpful. I think it really feeds into um, doomerism in a way that's just like, doesn't keep people fighting, you know? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I, I feel like you can be, and I mean, I've said this a bunch, you've said this a bunch too. I think we can be like, okay, there's a couple of things that will... Je- Actually, the methane fee will help everyone across the board. Like, period. Yeah. It's, you know... Um, there's And there's a couple of things like that. Uh, I think we can say that and be like, okay, that's good. And also be very clear-eyed about the many, many, you know, problems mm-hmm. that this kind of bakes in. Um, mm-hmm. Including, actually, I want to note about the EV credits too that like there's some language in there that um that stipulates how much of the batteries are made from u.s uh materials so you know that is also going to benefit the mining industry right it's going to encourage more mining for things like lithium and other rare earth minerals and then also um that could then again 
have major, um, co- like major, major inter- uh, impacts for tribes because a lot of that mm-hmm. mining is happening on indigenous land. So, you know, I just like, I don't, I don't want to be that person who's always like, <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> yeah. this thing you think is I good mean, is bad, but it's like, I'm, it's you know, I guess, sorry, not sorry. It's not that simple. We've been saying this for years. It's not as simple as simply plugging all your shit into a different energy source. Like, it's the power structure, not the power source. Famous exactly. Amy quote. Exactly. <laughs> like, I just, it's like, you know, yeah, okay. Like, we can, um, we can, we can definitely alleviate some problems that way, but we're not going to alleviate the environmental justice component that way at all. We're not going to, like... And honestly, I feel like it's, I just, I think that people who think that once you solve, if you solve climate change with, you know, consumerism and plugging stuff into different, and capitalism and sort of, you know, just a new energy source, um, that that will solve the problem are are just being really like short-sighted and also like ignorant of history. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, there will definitely be, I mean, we're already seeing it with lithium. There will definitely be another big, you know, big issue. Um, so anyway, I just, I think, um, I think that's the, I guess that's the main thing is just like, look, I don't know that we need to overly celebrate or overly mourn Mourn, until we see what actually happens here. Um, and that's hard for people to, to do. Like, that's not how our social media cycle works or our media cycle or, po- or even political cycle or our brains or any of that stuff. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, it's, yeah. so I, I, I think anybody listening to this would be like, oh, they're, you know, they're saying this bill is bad. And I mean, not necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a bit of like one, I, if it, if this is the end of the climate yes. fight, then yeah, I then would it's say bad. it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. That's right. Um, right. But if it's the beginning, if it's step one and not, you know, step end, then I think yeah. we're, you know, I, I can be I can be OK with that. I can be hopeful about that. And I, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people are getting to see up close these contradictions in the climate field, um, probably for the first time that there is no like. There there's no black and white, good or bad type of situation anymore. It's almost like, you know, I I was talking to someone earlier about like, basically, is it all hope or is it all doom? And I'm like, it is squarely in the middle. (laughs) Yes, totally. And it's like, this is the constant debate in the climate field, whether it be about messaging, whether it be about policy or whatever. Like, do we give people you know, doom and gloom, go home and shut down. There's no point anymore. Or do we give them what I call hopium? Um, yeah. You know, basically like sunshine and roses hope that yeah. like we're we're fixing it. It's going to be fixed. Don't worry. It's going to be OK type of thing. And mm-hmm. I think actually both of those things cause people to shut down. I don't yes. think actually either of them is super helpful because e- both of them say you don't need you to don't do have to anything. do anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you don't need to get involved because I before I got involved in climate in earnest, I heard both of those things at different times. And both of them mm-hmm. were like, OK, well, I guess you don't need me then. I'll just go work on something else. Um, yeah. So I, I think both of those camps hate each other. The doomers yeah. and the hopers hate each other. 
<laughs> but yeah. honestly, I think I think both of those messages are 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 harmful. Um, and in particular, the hope one, um, yeah. this idea, like, so one of the arguments uh, in favor of the bill and in favor of messaging, like, extremely positively about it, like, that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. the tone policing that's happened in the discourse around this bill. Yeah. Um, but one of the arguments is that we have to give people hope. I take deep issue with that. I think it's really infantilizing to people mm-hmm. that, like, giving them hope. Like, what does that even mean? Like, you, that's not how hope works. Works. You don't give someone else hope. Also, <laughs> yeah. no social. We're in us. This is a movement for justice. This is this is a social. Like it or not, uh, yeah. I don't care how bastardized that term has been. This is a yeah. massive. Like we're basically fighting for a revolution here, yeah. and that no revolution in history has been like people Fueled joined by it hope? because they had hope. No, <laughs> they got in because they were pissed. They got into it because they were scared. Like, yes. and also I think any good storyteller knows that once you start trying so hard to control your audience's emotions, that's propaganda. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we should just tell people the truth and the truth is messy and complicated and nuanced. And the, also the truth includes so many possibilities and so many opportunities for people to get involved. So let's yes. give them that. They're adults. Treat people like adults. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I have nothing to add. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> it's all totally true. Yeah. Like yeah. let them. And and yeah, like everyone, um, you know, kind of has their own view into it and their own role in it you know some people some people are really hype about all the tech stuff and I'm like okay (laughs) you know like I'm not that into it but if you really think that there's like a solution to be found there and you want to work on that fucking go for it man like I think we need a lot of people working on a lot of things to solve this problem and like you know um, the work's not going away in our lifetime it's just not I think that people, like people who are are sort of like, you know, I want you to give me hope or, or you need to give other people hope or whatever. I think what they're really asking for is permission to stop caring about or paying attention to this issue and like, sorry, not happening. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly, I don't know anyone who got involved in climate work because of hope. No. No. I really don't. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. I know who got involved in it got involved because they were scared. I think what people really mean, like I see, I see some people saying, "Oh, like we need to give people hope so that they will, you know, think like know that stuff can still be fixed or whatever." What they're really talking about is like we need to give people courage, right? Or we need to give yeah. people some options options or resilience or I know we hate the word resilience but like or you know like sort of the ability to to keep moving the the like a path we need to give people a path maybe like solidarity too that like yeah actually like a lot of people are working on this and like you should join us you know Mm -hmm. um yeah anyway yes I I mean I also think you got to give people like sort of the possibility and, you know, yeah. what's more important than giving them hope is letting them know that they're needed. They're necessary. Yeah. Like, we need you. Um, mm-hmm. And also, there's mad shit we ain't thought of yet. So I could give yes. you the options I know of, but, like, there's mad shit I haven't thought of. That's um, right. Or mad shit that I don't even know about. And you might figure it out. And we we fucking need you. Nobody told That's us right. to start a podcast. 
So that's right. You know, yeah. get in where you fit in. It's true. It's true. Yeah. That also, I feel like, is a good uh, lead in to talking about the tone policing thing, which has yeah, been let's talk about that. a major kind of, you know, day two <laughs> kind of uh, day two, day three. I feel three like it's been going on for a long result. time. Though. Yeah. Well, it has been. That's true. But yeah, like yeah. a major, major thing developing in sort of like the climate Twitter world and the aftermath mm-hmm. of, of this um, bill being and announced. And other places was, too. And yeah, on like email listservs and, and stuff. all that yeah. stuff was like, was basically like, um, you must be 100% celebratory about this bill or like you're, you know, not on the team or you're mm-hmm. being unrealistic or you're, um, I don't know. I, I saw someone say like, you're being saying, impatient. Yeah, you're being impatient. You're, you're not being, um, you're not understanding that, you know, that Democrats had a slim majority here. You should be placing the blame where it's due with Republicans, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not blaming Democrats. Um, I just am stating the fact that this will not do what scientists say is necessary to actually deal with this problem. Right. Number one. That's apolitical. It's just true. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm really pissy about the tone policing and lecturing of people of color who have been critical of this bill because, okay, so what? It contributes to the greater good. Why? They can't get crunk about their own destruction. Yeah. Like, I don't understand that. Like, oh, my home will go away, but it's for the greater good. So I'm supposed. What? Yeah. This is it. Yeah. You don't get to like, you know, if if someone is being killed, they at least get to cry out in pain. Yeah. And the bill so what frustrates me is that there's this there seems to be the idea that if people of color had criticized this bill, uh, that it wouldn't pass. Mm-hmm. Well, it passed. Can we talk about how we feel about the fucking thing? Like, can we can we at least own our own emotions around it? Like, everybody yeah. doesn't have to celebrate about every little everything together. Right. You exactly. Me being unhappy does not preclude you being happy. You know, like let people have their emotions. And I think the climate community is so bad about letting people feel their feelings. You know, yeah. it's like you either have it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, you either have to be hopeful or doomful. Well, and and it just doesn't leave room for the fact that everyone has a different experience and mm-hmm. that like on the on, in terms of like the emotional stuff, it's like you can cycle through five or six different emotions in a day. Never mind like, you know, the whole movement being consistent in their emotional response to everything. It's ridiculous. Like yep. I, I just it doesn't allow people to be fully human. And I also think there's been a real resurgence of this like old talking point, which is just wait, we'll get to you later. Right? Yes. Black and brown yes. people have been told that by the environmental movement forever. And we've been told that by the US government since we landed on this country. Yeah. So (laughs) you know, that was that was the argument after abolition, right? Like, and then there was reconstruction. There was like, oh, we'll come back for you later, we'll come back for you later. And it's like it never happens. And we are at we're past zero hour at this point. So if there was gonna come a day where black and brown people would not be abandoned, that day is a way late. 
way yeah. late. You can't expect people to still believe, believe that, that these sorts of yeah. compromises are still being made on their back. Now, yeah. what I wonder is, is it possible to at this point, come back for them? Or, like, how codified is the stuff in this bill that is harmful to Black and brown people? I think, you know, the, you know, making leases available. Well, this is actually part of why people have been talking about the need for there to be a climate emergency declaration as well. Mm -hmm. Like, those two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like, it's not, like, either policy or a climate emergency because, Biden could declare a climate emergency that then gave him the ability to, you know, say, okay, even though we gave these leases, you know, we're making these leases available, we're not going to do any new permits for offshore oil drilling for 10 years, Mm -hmm. for example. Whether or not Biden is actually likely to do that is like a whole other story, but he could. Um, there's also, there is some amount of, of kind of local and state control. Unfortunately, in most of the, the environmental justice communities, the state is entirely in the pocket of the industry. So, um, you know, that's been a problem. The thing that I think people have been most concerned about and rightly so with the Mountain Valley Pipeline is that it removes like litigation as an option for people, which is really fucked up. Like, yeah, that seems bad. It seems really bad. It seems like a really bad precedent to set, I think. Yeah. Um, But in other communities that don't have that happening, uh, litigation is is an option. And it is actually there's a bunch of cases that are ongoing in a lot of these communities like the um, the um, the one in in New Orleans against um, God, I'm blanking on the name, the big plastic one. Formosa? Formosa, yes. I'm like, it yeah, starts with Formosa. four. Formosa, for example, <laughs> like they've stalled the permits on that until the um, until the case is settled. So that's buying cool. them some time, at least for now. And hopefully mm-hmm. the case will go in their, in their favor. Um, there's quite a few actions like that happening, legal actions in quote unquote cancer alley um, yeah. against you know, chemical facilities, oil refineries, all that kind of stuff. So there mm-hmm. is still, you know, there's local action. Um, you know, FERC could maybe decide to start actually, you know, looking at the climate impacts of the things it's permitting, which it's supposed to be doing. Um, huh. That's that's an option. Um know so there's still like there's still it's not again like i do think that the the sort of good and bad of this bill is that it's not it's not like it's mostly around you know kind of possibility not specifics so it'll be really interesting to see how how those how those things kind of play out we'll see yeah yeah. So yeah. we'll be watching, you know, what comes next. I rem- Biden was very clear that these were not the last executive actions out of his office like a month ago when he made his first big climate speech. So we'll still be watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be watching how this bill is implemented, all the court cases. You know, there's still so much left to do, so much left to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I hope our I hope this conversation was helpful to our listeners to kind of like wrap their heads around it and just I wanna underscore again that 
we have deep respect for the people who worked on this bill, who agitated for it. Um, and that doesn't mean that we don't have concerns about it and That's concerns right. about people getting left behind. That's right. Those things are not mutually exclusive. I think that's They're the not. biggest thing. That was the biggest thing that I, I have felt like is really weird about the the tone policing and the sort of general yeah. discourse in the aftermath of this bill is just like this total refusal to allow people to to feel like okay about this <laughs> bill. You know, like yeah. okay. Okay. And I mean, some people are hurt. Some people feel betrayed by it. And, and to feel exactly, exactly. It's like, and, yeah, and the you, environmental can't, movement. you can't feel betrayed. You can't feel this. You can't feel and you can't even feel like just lukewarm about it. You know, right. like you don't get yeah. to control how people feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, if you keep hearing the same criticisms over and over again, uh, maybe there's some validity into it, and maybe yeah. it's time to get to work to protect those communities. Like, there is a yes. reason they keep saying they're being left behind. There's a reason they keep saying these things are harmful to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do want to say, too, that, um, A, I think that, that um, I don't know, kind of continuing to um, to just try to ignore that or try to tell people, like, they're, that they're overreacting or that we'll get to it later, all of that stuff. It's, it creates, I'm worried that like what's happened in, in sort of the conversations around this bill, especially with environmental justice groups and communities will create like a real rift or just sort of reopen a wound that's been there for a right. long time. Right. Like we were starting right. to really make some progress on this, I think in the climate right. movement. We forgot to mention there was that. like, there was starting yeah. to be some movement towards actually being like, Oh yeah, actually we are, a, we can be a big tent. And that's, mm-hmm. that makes a stronger movement. And it's like, not acceptable to leave these communities behind or to sacrifice exactly. these communities. And, exactly. you know, there, were, there was a big moment around that in 2018 with the IPCC report and again yes. around the Green New Deal and then mm-hmm. really, really in the summer of 2020. And so it, it really does feel like a betrayal to a lot of folks to get to a point where they're like looking at a bill and being like, wait a minute, why is my community sacrificed? It's a, it's a really big step backwards on that progress. And I'm concerned about the aftermath of that, you know? Um, And I also want to point out, even if you don't care about that and you don't care about having an equitable movement and, you know, whatever, you should care that it's a weakness (laughs) that can be exploited. And it already is being exploited by the fossil fuel industry. There's, they're Mm -hmm. already, like fossil fuel funded dark money groups that are trying to sort of fan the flames here yep. to, um, you know, to undermine climate action. So, yeah. you know, and that's not like I've seen even with that, too. There was a story about this just this this past week about this one um, group that was trying to push progressive politicians to vote against the IRA and it was discovered that they were being mostly funded by the fossil fuel industry and some right-wing political groups and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. the response to that was mostly like, see environmental justice people, that's why you should shut the fuck up about this. And I was like, what? That is not the solution, guys. Like The solution solution is to actually work on white supremacy. You can't have... That can't be the thing that environmentalism and the fossil fuel industry have in common. 
That's right. That's right. That can't be the meeting point. That's that's that's, right. Yeah. You know, and and refusing to deal with that, refusing to address white supremacy is a weakness that can and will be exploited. So even if you don't give a shit about anything else but just winning climate fights, you're going to keep losing if you have this persistent flaw in your movement that can be weaponized against you over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, And I mean, it's, I I just feel like the environmental movement has ripped and repaired its relationships with communities of color over and over and over again. Um, And I don't, you know, I, I hope they're hard at work on something that will, you know, try to try to repair the makeup gift yet again. Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. There better like, be a ring. There better be a ring. Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> right. We're going to need more than a bag of chips with this shit. So better be a nice fucking dinner. Uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. Yeah. It's bad. So, yeah. So anyway, hopefully that's the work ahead, right? Like. We keep we keep moving. This is step one, you know, yeah. and and we keep working and we keep fighting and hopefully there's no laurels to rest on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hot Take is a Crooked Media production. It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jules Bradley. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thamali Kodakara is our consulting producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt. Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support and to Amelia Montooth for digital support. You can follow the show on Twitter at Real Hot Take, sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com, and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. 